Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What a show we have for you today. Florida Atlantic University's Dusty May is going to join us coming up in about 15 minutes. Right after that, Scott Drew from Baylor is going to join. And then Mr. March himself, Tom Izzo, is going to join us. And we are going to break down the Sweet 16 like nobody's business. Donald Trump, ladies and gentlemen, apparently not arrested. Not going to be arrested at least today. Let's be honest. Donald Trump, hush money to Stormy Daniels, taken through the Trump organization. Uh, Elvin Braggs, the prosecutor in this case, no question he's being racist. No question he's doing this for political reasons because at best or at worst, what Donald Trump did was a misdemeanor. But Mr. Bragg, who is not a fan of Trump, certainly is a Democrat, you can argue in two ways. He's being racist and He is being politically motivated. It's kind of funny because every other one of these charges uh, is a misdemeanor. But in Trump's case, a rich middle-aged white guy, eh, president that's on the other side of the political aisle, eh, this dude here can get himself some notoriety. Nobody ever heard of this clown. Of course it's racist. And of course it is politically motivated. Now, Trump's a dirtbag. We all know that. And the idea of this, and this is what's getting kind of misconstrued in this, people think that Donald Trump, if he in fact is arrested, it's going to be because he paid hush money, $130,000, to ex-stripper, whatever she was, Stormy Daniels. But that's not really true. You can pay hush money to shut somebody up. Hey, don't go and do this. I'll give you $10,000. That's not illegal. There's nothing illegal about that. What do you want? What do you want to do to make this go away? Your neighbor gets involved. In, what do you want to do to make this? You can do that. The problem you have is falsifying business records, which, of course, are a misdemeanor in every case except for this one. It's glorious. I've seen the Biden crime family. I've watched all kind of payments, money to the big guy. Crickets. Crickets. But Trump, who denies the affair, going back to 2006, by the way, and Trump's lawyer at the time, Michael Cohen, is, of course, a felon, uh, and has no credibility. But, hey, you got to prosecute Trump because, well, he's a conservative. He's an older white dude that isn't on our side. And anybody thinks this doesn't factor in, isn't paying attention. I mean, look, being an older white dude, there's nothing wrong with being an older white dude. Nobody's claiming victim. People say, you know, the answer to what I'm saying is, well, uh, yeah, it's real hard being a white guy in this country. No one's saying that. No one's saying it's hard. No one's saying that there haven't been advantages. Absolutely nobody is saying that. What we're saying is in the modern, the today world, older white guy, Republican, without question prosecuted, if not in the court of law, of course, in the newspapers. Hell, even CNN came on and said this is a crap charge. 
Even CNN came on, no pun here, said this was a trumped up, see what I did there? Charge. So don't at me about this. Yeah, real hard to be a white guy in the country, Dockage. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's hard. I'm just saying facts. If you watch our media, and that's really what I do all day, that's it. What do I do after 11? Do a couple shows, couple hits, a couple videos, and then I watch what the media is saying. If you haven't paid attention, I don't know what to tell you. Like, if Joe Biden were on the right, Joe Biden would be in jail 15 years ago. Joe Biden would be done. But Joe Biden, older white guy, is on the right side of the political machine, and that controls the media. The media ain't going to say nothing. I'll give you an example from sports. Pat Forty, friend of mine, was a friend of mine. I don't know if he still is or not. The biggest, yay, yeah, everything's supposed to be done right. Everything's done, blah, 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 except Leah Thomas. His daughter's a swimmer. She's an Olympian. But Pat Forty scared to death, right? Scared to death to talk about Leah Thomas. Why? Well, that's over there on this side. I don't want to get anybody mad at me on the left. That's how the world works. Are you crazy? We all know that. So the word on the street is Trump's arrest is not coming today. That's the word on the street. Now, who knows? See, I try to tell you this. I tell you this as best I can. There's always a backstory. What you see is never, ever what is real. It's part real. It's a skosh real. It's what we call kind of, sort of, ish real. But it ain't real. The great Gerald Ford told Coach Knight, if you think the sports page is bad, you wouldn't believe the front page. And it's true. I've been involved now, I don't know, 12 national stories, and not arranging from uh, the New York Post, the Indy Star, USA, and I've never gotten it right. Now, you can agree with all the stories because I'm a bad guy or a good guy, either way you want to go, but I've never gotten it right. Whether it was leaving West Virginia, did not get it right. Becoming the interim head coach in India, did not get it right. Did not get it right. Had no. And so I don't take any of this stuff literally. It's all ish. So the only reason Donald Trump is being arrested is because he is two things. Easy target, older white guy. Easier target because he's Donald Trump. And, of course, he's a conservative. It's that simple. And anybody who doesn't believe that, you're full of crap. Anybody that thinks this is such a horrible argument, you're full of crap. It's exactly what this is about. It's always what it's about in this day and age. And you know what? It's not going to stop anytime soon. I anticipate this is what happens in our deal. Google searches, because this is a conservative show, are harder with my show. Twitter Harder, easier now a little bit, except for the dumb way uh, Elon Musk has put following or for you and all that kind of crap. A little bit harder to find our show, keep our show on Twitter so the numbers have gone down, but the YouTube numbers are fine because YouTube hasn't done that. But Google searches, it is all rigged against conservatives. And if you don't believe that, and if you think it's just me being a conservative, you're wrong because I'm not a conservative. I'm right in the middle and I pay attention. And if you don't believe it, then you just don't know. Yeah, I know up here, well, you're just whining. No, I'm just telling you facts, and I get it. You know, it's like on Twitter. If anybody agrees with me or someone like me, they say, well, is this a Dockage Burner account? You can't have a conversation. This is a normal, rational conversation if you've paid attention and you know 
and you have people in that industry like we have here at OutKick and Fox News, and, and CNN has it, and USA Today, name an outlet. We all have people that understand the world behind the scenes with Twitter and YouTube and Google. And they all tell you the same thing, if they're being honest. Yeah, you know, uh, at least, well, Twitter, obviously, with the Twitter files, was squelching conservative looks, squelching conservative tweets. Google search absolutely doesn't, even now. And I anticipate, because I was on Fox News and because I was on Tucker Carlson, that there will be an audit coming soon to me. We all know what this is about. We do. But you know what? You got to be able to talk about it. And if you don't like what I'm saying, then so what? Look it up for yourself. ESPN getting ready to dump a bunch of white dudes. Hey, white dudes at ESPN, if you don't have a race card handy, I had a friend, Timmy Sierra. Timmy Sierra whitered me. Timmy Sierra couldn't get into law school. Timmy Sierra changed his thing from white to Hispanic, got into law school immediately. So if you got something like that and you're at ESPN, understand, use it. Go tell Lee Fitting, or go tell Norby Williamson, or go tell Jimmy Patero, you know what? I've got Native American in this bloodline. I just want you to know, uh, because it's coming for you, baby. You think Mina Kimes is going to be fired? Could you imagine if Mina Kimes, I don't even know what or who this is, I watched her once, and then I read her, and all she does is complain that she's a victim. you imagine if they let her go? I'm a victim. All right. All right. I'm watching these guys here today, and I'm like, wow, the big swagoo. What does that add? Damian Woody. What does he add? L. Duncan. What does she add? You know, it's unbelievable. Brian Custer tries to be like uh, Gus Johnson. You know, it's really funny. They've got a lot to choose from at ESPN, and they're making massive, massive cuts, man. Massive cuts. And we'll see what happens. People are starting to understand, like, one of the things that I did at ESPN and I did in radio and I do here is I understand the business. And when I left ESPN to come to OutKick, I knew there were cuts coming. We all did. We were just hoping it would be after you signed a contract. And then I looked around. I said, I'm getting out of here. You know, I'm old. I need a job. You know what I mean? You can cut every single person on these panels and you'd be happy. ESPN is paying Chris Fowler over $3 million. What does Chris Fowler add to a broadcast? You could slide me in there to play-by-play. Chris Fowler? $3 million? Are you insane? Come on. I mean, $3 million. Yes, he calls tennis. Anybody can call tennis. Yes, he calls uh, Sunday Night Football. He ain't even good at it. Period. I look at these contracts and I'm like, are you insane? Chris Fowler, $3 million? Holy cow. And they're far apart in negotiations. I tell you what I tell Chris Fowler. Hey, Chris, here's the deal, man. Uh, you made three last year. I'm going to pay you a million. If you don't like it, no problem. No problem. We got a lot of guys that can go do this. Sean McDonald do it. He signed a contract. You know what I mean? Honest to God. Happy to have you. Lovely. But you know what? It's either that or we're going to cut you. See, people don't know what they have. Jay Billis makes a lot. Billis adds nothing. Hey, Jay, here's the deal, man. Love you. Love you. Love you. 
But uh, we're cutting your salary in half. If you don't want to do the job, put yourself out as a free agent. CBS will hire you. CNN will hire you. Uh, you got to play offense. You got to play from a position of strength. Are you kidding me? So Chris Fowler, $3 million. I saw that. And they're fu- we want to keep Chris. Here's what you do. Chris, sit down. Your agent, sit down. You got a pretty good gig, man. You know what? You call sun. You call football games. You uh, you do tennis. Do a great job. Uh, we're in some financial trouble. We're cutting other people. We're going. You have two options here. Your salary was three. We're going to cut it in half. We're going to make it one point five million, or we're going to let you go. Your choice. What do you want to do? Well, no, there's no well. No, no, no. I get it. I get it. Well, we're going to tell people. Okay. And then you know what you do? You bring out a list. You bring out a stack this high of files of people with resumes that are really good at their job, that could do the job equally as well as Chris Fowler. And you say, Chris, you know, you make your choice. There, I've already saved you two million, a million and a half ESPN. How about that? And you do the same thing with anybody else in contract negotiations. You play from a position of strength. You always play offense. You never play defense, ever. I'm looking at two guys right now, Big Swagoo and Sal Pal. See ya. See ya. If Sal Pal and the Big Swagoo were gone, nobody would notice. Damian Woody, see ya. I'm just saying because guys are on my screen. You got a dude that's the worst play-by-play guy, Brian Custer, tries to be Gus Johnson. See ya. Adios. Damian Woody, gone. So I'm looking at four guys right now on my screen, gone. Gone. I mean, we can bring Jeff Saturday in to jump around, stand on his head and crap snowball. So it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what happens at ESPN because, frankly, ESPN needs to lose a lot of the dead weight. A lot of people there just because. Just because. That's all. Monica McNutt. Just because. Get them gone. Let's go. Adios. See you. It's easy. If I were at ESPN, it'd be easy. You. Uh, adios. You. Very good. Good job. Goodbye. It'd be so easy. Who do you want to call? L. Duncan. Uh, L, we're going to get this back under control. See, what's happened at ESPN is they have lost control. They lost control when they just gave it all to their employees. And they know they have. You know, all of a sudden, L. Duncan is cutting into a game. You think Norby Williamson, Jimmy Patero wanted that, but no, they acquiesced. They gave it L. We let you cut in. Goodbye. Watch for J.J. Reddick. J.J. Reddick insulted the big stupid. Kendrick Perkins. Be interesting to see if he's gone. Kendrick Perkins has gone a long time ago. Jalen Rose has gone a long time ago. They just don't add anything. They detract. You got to add. You got to add. Look, if you don't have value... If you don't add value, you got to go. And if you don't have a race card, you 1,000% are going to go, period. Like, make no mistake. If you don't have the ability to play the race or the woke card, you go. If they're afraid of you, you go. Look, I worked there. People are starting to understand now why I left. Everybody at ESPN knew this was coming. Everybody. You can say, well, that was two years ago. That's fine. But everybody knew this was coming. Everybody. It was just a matter of when. I tell you what people knew was coming. You know, they call it the blue mist with Kentucky. I'm calling it the red mist 
Florida, Florida Atlantic University, and the legendary Dusty May. My wife, Dusty, who obviously knows handsome, saw you for the first time the other day and then heard you speak. She said two things. That dude is really handsome, and that dude seems like a really, really nice guy. Congratulations on that, because that's a woman of taste, obviously. Well, other than my wife, that's the first time I've heard the first part, but the second part, I appreciate that. I, I try to be a good guy. Hey, Dusty, you do try. Hey, I, first things first. I, did you, I, uh, you knew me 100 years ago, all right? Uh, I had no problem with the kid doing a 360 dunk at the end. I'll tell you why. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but you are such a good guy. Did you apologize uh, for that the other day? Well, I, I apparently, you know, there was some stuff on social media about one of their coaches or someone on staff said he heard our players saying this and he heard our players saying that, and then they went public with it. So apparently one of our players ran by their bench and said something along the lines that uh, about that. And so then he, then their bench started yelling at our bench. I didn't know what was going on. I asked the officials, hey, why are those guys yelling in our direction? And he said, one of your players said something to their bench. If he does it again, I'm going to take him, whatnot. So that's why I apologize. I, you know, but we've had probably 30 players this year talk crazy to our bench. And I usually I just say, hey, why are you talking to me? Like, you're, you're playing. Like, stop talking to me. Like, I, it is what it is. I don't care. But uh, to each his own. Hey, Dusty, let's, call, let's talk about your team. The one thing that I noticed in your team, and, 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 and I, basketball is fantastic. The way you play is really fun. It, it's fantastic. But I notice in your players a real maturity of play, like an unselfishness, yes, and, and they do everything you want. But they, the look to me is of a bunch of mature guys. Absolutely. I've never been around a more competitive group and a more together group. They genuinely care about each other and each other's success. And, and obviously they all want to be the, the best player and leading scorer, but when they're not, they, they support their teammates. And usually every night we have a different best player. So it's, it's worked out and obviously winning's helped, but I think the competitive spirit of these guys, I've never, they get mad when we don't go live and practice. And this time of year, you, a lot of teams, they don't want to practice. Yeah, I mean, you could just tell. Um, your system of play is fantastic. It reminds me 100 years ago of Rick Pitino and, and, and how his teams at Kentucky play kind of spread you, uh, drive it. What's the evolution of you at Florida at Atlantic um, in terms of style of play? Well, to be honest, I was always, in, uh, and obviously growing up in Indiana, we ran flex and motion and Coach Barnheiser and then working for Coach Knight. I was always a motion guy, but, you know, it, at, now no one runs it growing up. So I felt like part of the reason all the guys that you coached in Indiana, they had a background of reading screens, of knowing how to play off the ball. Now all you see is ball screens and cutting and, and, and dribble drive. So, you know, it's, it's hard to, to – uh, microwave these guys to do something they've never done. So we tried to adapt where we have cutting and ball screens. And uh, it, it, I loved the Phoenix Suns team, the second or se seven seconds or less teams. But uh, what I took away was more just the off ball cutting, the creating space. And then uh, during COVID just really did, did dove into our program and realized that we were driving bad spacing. We weren't creating driving lanes and gaps and whatnot. So now we simply try to drive space or create space and, and attack that space. So um, I think it's helped because it simplifies our guys and we don't, we're not set oriented. We do run sets, but it's just to create an advantage and then hoop. 
Did, did you recruit to that specifically, or did you kind of evaluate like, hey, look, we're going to adapt to what we have? No, in year one, we had 10, we had 10 open scholarships, and, and we had, uh, I, I think, we had zero recruiting days, and we had seven official visits. So as you know, it's hard to get 12, 10 players with seven official visits and zero days out recruiting. And so we had we, we said, basically, let's get the best players we can get and figure it out. And that's kind of what we've done every year. We've we, we've looked for guys that, that are tough, that can defend, and also that are good shooters. We haven't recruited one just pure shooter. We just recruited guys like John L. Davis from, from your neck of the woods that he had a great release. He only shot mid-ranges. He attacked the rim, but we felt like he was going to end up being a really good shooter. And uh, just and, and he's tough, and, and he's a winner. So we, we tried to recruit a bunch of guys like that. Well, speaking of John L. Davis, he is from America's greatest part of the country, Northwest Indiana, Gary, Indiana. We're very proud to say we're the murder capital of the United States. If I'm a kid and I'm from Gary, Indiana, in this day and age, and you come to recruit me based on where Florida Atlantic is, I'm coming without even visiting. I'm just looking at a map. Get me out of Gary. Get me to Boca, baby. Well, Coach, growing up in Salisbury, I remember I got a brochure or a, a media guy from Flagler University and Rollins University in Florida, and I saw the palm trees on the cover and said, can I go there? And, and Barnizer said, it's not quite that simple. <laughs> so I can relate. Uh, Janelle, hey, he's been very, very good for you, though, hasn't he, all, in all seriousness? Incredible. He, he's a special, special dude, man. He, I've never been around a guy that's more competitive. His basketball IQ – um, his, his knowledge of the game, what he sees, I mean, he could, co he could go into coaching right now and, and not, not miss a, not skip a beat as far as scouting reports, preparation, all those things. I mean, he's, he's an incredibly intelligent, hardworking, driven guy that he's in the gym every morning. Then he, we have weights and we have workouts and then he goes and does his, his study hall or whatever academic stuff. And then he usually comes back and shoots at night. So he's a, and he's a determined guy to be, to, to make it. Can you explain to people who, who maybe don't understand recruiting, how, how does a kid from Gary, Indiana, end up uh, in Boca playing for you? One of my uh, former assistants now at Georgia, he missed him. He had recruited DeAndre Golston at Kent State. So he was familiar with 21st Century Academy. And we're doing a swing through Michigan and Indiana to see some kids we had some ends on. And we went into an open gym, and he was a junior and I was in there about 20 or 30 minutes and said, I love this kid. He had great hands. He had ball skills. Um, and, and we felt like there was a lot to work with. So we offered him. And actually, it's the only guy we've ever brought in on an official visit his junior year. Usually we recruit late. You know how it is at the mid-major level. You recruit more late than early. We brought him in as a junior, brought his family down. Everyone was on board with him getting away and kind of creating his own identity. And uh, so we got him committed early, and then he averaged 30, mid-30s in high school for 21st Century Academy with a great program, well-coached. And then he goes on the EYBL circuit with, with the Spies teams, with the Indy Heat teams, and he's a, the, averaging like seven, six, and five and really impacting winning and, and at, at Peach Jam. So we said, you know what, this guy, he can score, he, he can hoop, but also he knows how to impact winning with other really good players. He'll probably be ready to play immediately his freshman year he had some ups and downs but then since last year he's really uh he's come a long way dusty uh were you rooting kind of against him at the peach jam like don't average 20 and all of a sudden you know <laughs> you know what i mean 
maybe a little bit. You know, we we I don't want to say I rooted for them to play poorly, but we definitely root for them to lose early before they they get have an opportunity to play in front of everyone again and again because it just takes one big game. We we faced that this past season. We were on a kid and and there were a couple high majors flirting with him and and uh, a couple guys I guess were load managing late in in the summer, so he played and went crazy and and we were done. So uh, that 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 happens a, a lot at Peach Jam. I had a kid ended up, we signed him. He ended up, you know, had a Mr. Basketball. Next thing you know, Huggins at Cincinnati has a package for him to, to leave his commitment to me. And if I didn't cuss out Huggins, we'd have never got the kid. He ended up being player of the year. So you sit there and you go, man, I love this kid, but damn, don't be too, don't be too good. Tennessee, they famously tough. Everybody's complaining about how physical they are. They got Duke down in the mud. What do you see out of Tennessee? That incredibly phys- physical, intense. They challenge everything. They're going to challenge every catch, every every post position. And and I and to be honest, I didn't watch the Duke game until uh, last night and this morning, so I had no idea. I heard on Twitter how physical it was, and and then uh, the first thing that, that popped into my head when they asked about Tennessee was uh, Australian rules football because it's physical without pads, and and all of a sudden everybody's up in arms about that. So I, I made a joke. I've caught a lot of heat. I'm going to have to deactivate my Twitter account. Um, but yeah, to me, it's a compliment. If you said, man, Dusty's team is physical, they're tough, they're aggressive. I'd be like, thank you. That's, that's what I want you to say. So I, I didn't realize saying that, uh, Tennessee's extremely physical was, was that insulting. I, I would take it as a compliment. I, that's exactly right. You did say that, Hey, we're going to study Australian rules football and it blew up. Like, I don't understand why, look, basketball doesn't have to be played the same way every place, and referees want to call it. Patino told Coach Knight and I, we foul on every possession because the refs aren't going to call them. All right, it's is it up to kind of the referees to dictate how the game's going to be played and your guys to play your way? 100%. And, and, and when you play like that, you've got to be able to drive through some contact. You've got to be able to play off two feet, and you have to adjust because – you never know how the game's going to be called, and 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 the officials they want to they want a clean, smooth game as well. So there's a lot of variables, but we can't get caught up in that. But we know we're going to have to. We say you're either the hammer, you're the nail, and we're I think we're 330th in in height in the country, and we're we're we've been a consistently top 25 rebounding percentage team. So, um, you know we're we're going to have to be the hammer, and and hopefully that that's enough because they they're physical, they're aggressive, but. Um, coach, you you could you know I, I laugh now. Back in the '90s, Coach Knight was doing the the defensive rebounding percentage and, and all those numbers, and now they're they're considered modern day analytics. So, uh, pretty cool. <laughs> what do you think about it? Yeah, I know people would say, "Well, Coach Knight didn't he 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 wouldn't have been involved." And I'm like, "You're crazy. We were doing that stuff like in the '80s. I mean, that you know, he understood the three point shot was more valuable than the two in 1987 when it first came in." Hey, I do want to get back to the physicalness, uh, Dusty. Um, I go back to what I said earlier. It takes a mature team, correct, to play against yes. a style that is different maybe than what you've played against? Yeah, 100%. But in our league, North Texas is incredibly physically physical, well-coached. So it's not as if we haven't seen it. We just haven't seen it with this size and mass. Uh, so it's it's going to be different. There will be an adjustment. So we're obviously going to have to make some shots. But if we can get stops, get out in transition when the floor is open, then we'll have a, a chance to score. If it becomes a, a half-court segmented game, it, it could definitely play into Tennessee's favor. You know, uh, you were at Indiana. You talked about Coach Knight. What was his influence on you? 
You know, I, I tell people all the time that as an assistant coach, I, I don't think I referred back to what I learned near as often. And now as a head coach, I feel like I do every single day. And, and you know, it, just the way he taught, the way he looked at things, the way he made, there, there's so much information now, the way he could take complex situations and make them seem very simple to 18 to 22 year olds is, is still, um, you know, it, it, it blows my mind. And, and you know, that's the, during COVID, I, I, I really just focus on trying to become a better teacher and better communicator. And and at, after reflecting, it was like, man, Coach Knight, this is what was his true, true gift. He could he could make things that were complex. I mean, uh, seem very, very simple. Uh, hey, Dusty, what was the influence, both positive and negative, of actually being around Dane Fife or being a friend of Dane Fife? Well, at that stage of my life, I had probably some anger management issues, so we related really well at that time. Uh, I've come a long way, <laughs> but no, Dane and I are still very close. I, I, we sat in the, the, the dupe room chairs six inches from each other for about uh, 16 hours a day, so we had a lot of conversations. I'd pick his brain, obviously, when whenever you uh, move and look like he does and, and you're able to do the things he did, it's pretty fascinating, and he's such a bright guy, competitive, so... I learned a lot from him and 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 took a lot of our our conversations just just to get better as a coach and prepare myself. No, you didn't. You just lied to me. Nobody learns from Fife. Nobody. <laughs> well, sometimes you learn what not to do, coach. <laughs> that's what uh, that's what Mike Schrage said to me. He goes, Coach, I learned a lot of what not to do from you. I go, Well, good for you, man. I, I totally, I completely get that. Hey, before I let you go. Um, I want to go to one thing. Purdue loses to uh, FDU. FDU's coach becomes, and he's a great dude. I remember him back at Five Star. You probably know him. I don't know if you do or not. But that's a tough game because in normal circumstances, you guys would have been the darling and people would have been really rooting for you, right? But all of a sudden, FDU is like, you know, it's a different deal, correct? How was that? It was odd, especially we have great dudes. You know, they chirp a little bit, but they're great. They're great young men. And for them to become villains at the at the drop of a hat was odd. I mean, can't Michigan State fans. But if I was a casual fan in there, I'd be recruiting. I mean, I would be cheering for FDU as well. So it, it, it's human nature. Uh, but, man, af- after watching and competing with them, I'm thinking, like, man, how did they lose 16 games? I thought they were good. Their guards were fast. And I know matchups have a lot to do with it, but that's a good basketball team. And and when you have these guys that shoot mid-20% from three all season and they start banging in threes and they get their rhythm and confidence at the right time, they're, they're dangerous. So we knew it was a bad matchup for Purdue just because they, if if those threes were going in, do you not play Edie? Because, it's I mean, no matter who he was guarding, it was going to be a tough matchup. Well, let me, let me finish with this. I, I always say, you know, Key Smart hits a jump shot. We all got national championship rings. Key Smart misses a jump shot. Jim Beheim has as many national championships as Bob Knight, right? So I've always said making shots is incredibly important. And I want to go back to something you said. Um, you put basically five guys out there at all times that can make shots. Hundred percent. That that's our competitive advantage. We're smaller, um, and and then even our backup five. We almost use him as a as a point guard, a point forward, where he he initiates offense, dribble handoffs, uh, driving and kicking. So we just try to play different. We never when we got the job, FAU didn't have a lot of tradition or history. So we felt like we if we tried to play the same way as everyone else, 
Uh, we wouldn't be able to out recruit them from day one. So we felt like we had to be different. And, and both of our fives who split minutes, they're night and day contrast. But uh, we have four guys. We really have eight eight guys that we put out there that can all dribble, pass, and shoot uh, relatively well. And on any given night, we just go with the hot hand, and, and usually somebody brings it home based on the matchup or who has it going that night. Last, last thing. In Indiana, you go in, or at least I used to go in in the morning. It was dark. Get in that freaking rooms downstairs, right? Never see the sun. Leave when it's dark and it's cold. When you first went to Florida and coached, I couldn't coach there because I couldn't be miserable enough because I'd walk outside and it'd be warm and nice, right? I mean, yeah. how, how great is it to coach in Florida? It's it's unbelievable, Coach. I live to it less than two miles of campus, so if we're not, we don't have a game, and I don't have to bring a lot of stuff. I ride my bicycle to work, make a couple calls, listen to podcasts, and and then when it, it, literally, if we're not in practice, and, and there, if there's a recruiting call or just a, a calling another coach. If, if anyone on our staff's on the phone for more than 30 seconds, you see them circling our arena. And it's it's like a, a, a dog track with our staff. We're crossing each other path. And so, yeah, it, it, it's great. Uh, I'm not near as cranky during practice and I'm not near as fatigued just because the the, the sun is out every day and it's the, the blue skies. Damn right, man. You you show up in Indiana and it's not because it's just cranky because it's cold, it's dark, it's gray. You're like, I'm just pissed today. We're just going to yell and scream. Hey, Dusty, rooting like crazy for you, man. I know you're swamped. I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate you carving out a few minutes with us, man. It's fun to watch all that you're doing. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Coach. I appreciate it. You got it. That's Dusty May, Florida. Atlantic, I'm telling you, man, he's done an unbelievable job. He's done. If I'm an AD, I'm hiring him, man. I mean, I'm telling you right now, I'm hiring him. I mean, he's a great-looking dude. He speaks. He cares. He's just charismatic. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, but I, I think he's absolutely terrific, and I'm proud. I think I was there one year with him at Indiana. That was when I had a punch coach night. I did. I had a punch, and night hit me in practice. Boom. Uh, yelling, screaming, and finally I had enough, and he came at me in a little room off of Assembly Hall, uh, off of the locker room. Nobody ever knew this. I was scared to death that I was going to get fired. Knight was evil in terms of coming back at his enemies. So I never told anybody this until about a year ago. Uh, I didn't even tell my wife. I didn't even tell my family. But he came at me in this room, and I drilled him in the chest and knocked him back. Uh, and that ended him being a bully. But I don't even know why I got into that story. But I think that was the year Dusty was there. Um, I think. I could be wrong. But sometimes a dude needs to be punched. All right, we're going to come back. Oh, uh, we are. We're going to come back <laughs> with Scott Drew. Love Scott Drew. National champion Scott Drew. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Welcome back. Uh, Tom, Scott Drew coming up in, what is it, in about four minutes. That's fun with Dusty May. Look, you got to root for a guy like that. He's a very good dude. Uh, he's absolutely terrific. You know, let me go to Scott Drew for just a second. Yeah, okay, they got beat. Yeah, I'm sure he's disappointed. He's getting an award, and he should get an award. But more than that, you know, when you win a national championship, everybody says, well, your life has changed. But nobody follows up on how has your life changed. But what, what, what's, what's happened here that makes your life change? We'll get into that with Scott Drew, among other things. All right, let's go to headline real quick while we wait on Coach Drew. Rick Pitino has signed a six-year deal with St. John's. Rick Pitino is 70 years old. I'm going to tell you one thing that's going to happen. St. John's is going to be relevant. Pitino said something interesting that I've always liked about Rick Pitino. Rick Pitino said, we want to make it a tough ticket in New York. That is so good. That is so smart. That is exactly what Rick Pitino is about. It is. It, that's what he is about. He understands the business side of it. And one of the things with St. John's is selling out the garden, becoming a ticket in the garden. Like if, if St. John's would have played a game, and I know they do, but a standalone game. Let's say that St. John's played UConn in the garden. Probably would have been a big game. Probably would have had a lot of tickets sold, but not from the St. John's fans. What Patino is going to do is he's going to make St. John's basketball a tough ticket, meaning we play in the garden, everybody wants to go. We play in the garden, those front row seats are going to have some people in it that you recognize. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what Rick Patino understands. He does. He understands that about his job and the impact that St. John's can have in the city of New York. Now, Jamaica, New York is not the Bronx. Jamaica, New York is a nice, not a college town, but somewhat. It's a nice place, you know? It's not, you know, downtown Brooklyn or wherever you think New York is. So, but it is New York's university. And I'm telling you right now, and I'll bet you money, those of you I haven't been to the YouTube chat today, but those of you on the YouTube chat, I'll bet you money that he does for St. John's what Bob Knight did at Texas Tech. Gets him to the Sweet 16. You know, people forget about that. Knight goes to Texas Tech. Next thing you know, they're playing West Virginia in the Sweet 16. They get beat, and in fact, Knight got really outcoached in the game. I know exactly where I was sitting when it happened. However, that was John Beeline at West Virginia. All right. Well, I guarantee you that is what you're going to see out of Rick Pitino at St. John's. My next guest, look, Scott Drew, he had a much tougher job than any of these guys. I mean, hell, he took over a program that had murder. He took over a program that he couldn't have a year uh, until halfway through the year, meaning they didn't have a preseason. He took over a program, it's the biggest rebuild job ever, and he went from that to a national champion. And now Chip and Joanna are in the front seat, in the front row. I mean, how good is that? And those of you that don't know, you men that don't know who Chip and Joanna is, do yourself a favor. Ask your wife, because she's going to know. Scott Drew's done the best coaching job in the history of NCAA basketball. He has. I mean, look it up. You don't believe? You guys think I just talk? I speak with a brain that has paid attention 
and Scott Drew, nice enough to join us now. It's true. Like Chip and Joanna in the front row? Are you kidding me? And it's the greatest <laughs> coaching job in the history of sports. I'm telling you, it is. It is. Well, thank you very much for your kind words, Dan. And I need you as an agent. <laughs> and then, I'll tell and then you besides one thing that, I am good at. You know it, I know it takes a team to win. We've been blessed with great coaches, great administration, players, and and hence Chip and Joe are in the front row. <laughs> hey, I, no, no, no. I what I want to do is, you know how Michael Buffer's a ring announcer. I want to be a <laughs> professional introducer. I want to be like, hey, hire me to introduce you at that speaking engagement. <laughs> hey, I want to get into a lot of things. I want to get into the the award that you're getting. But everybody says this. Everybody says when you win a national championship, it changes your life. And then nobody follows up. I'm following up. Your national championship, you win it. Has it changed your life? And if so, how has it changed your life? You know, where it changes your life is you, you do get asked for more interviews. And you get so you get privileges like this beyond with you, Dan. But uh, okay. the other thing is okay. you, you get – you. More, more autograph seekers. Other than that, uh, you're just like any other coach. You're only as good as your last game. <laughs> and if you win, well, you're good. You know, if you lose, you're in trouble. <laughs> it, it, is, it is amazing. That's how coaches think, right? I mean, coaches yeah. think like – I remember when I was an interim coach at Indiana. I always wanted to be the coach at Indiana. We beat Northwestern my first game. I'm walking off the court, and I'm thinking, we got Ohio State on Tuesday. My brother, my family's all celebrating – and they're like, what's wrong with you? I go, dude, it's sun Saturday night. We got a game Tuesday, right? <laughs> and that's 100% true. Un unfortunately, uh, you never get a chance to, re to reflect when you're coaching. It's always the next thing, the next thing. And people want to know what coaches do. Like, so our season's done. Like, what do you do? Well, right now you're recruiting 24-7. Uh, you're trying to recruit your own players. You're trying to recruit who you're going to bring in the next couple of years. And by the way, uh, anyone that's a parent for a teenager, we got what, what, 13, 15, depending on how many walk ons. You got 15 teenagers. They keep you busy, all right? <laughs> that's exactly right. People think that, well, you know, basketball is a great job. Season's over. You just hang out. That's it. <laughs> you just go golfing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Scott, what, walk me through two things. Uh, the year that you had, and then I'm going to add, you know, you played Creighton. Creighton's in the Sweet 16. They got you. How yeah. much Creighton? Well, I think, first of all, when you when you look, take a step back, we started 0-3 in conference. And at that point, you're like, man, we're going to make the tournament. And we end up finishing uh, being the overall ninth seed in the NCAA tournament. So whenever you finish the season and you're the overall ninth seed, that means you've done something pretty well. Um, when it gets to the NCAA tournament, uh, you and I know in a one-game, 40-minute uh, uh, game, it's not best four or seven. So uh, the best teams don't always win. That's why there's so many upsets, what makes March great. But also, we also know the parity and how many good coaches there are. Coach McDermott's a great coach. They got a great program. They were ranked seventh in the nation, preseason top five by some for a reason. They're a real good team, and they beat us. Uh when you look at Creighton, it's an offensive team. I, I want to walk through this a little bit. Uh, how good, or, I, you know, I've always said this, and I just talked to Dusty May about it. I, you know, I got a national championship ring because Keith Smart hit a fading out-of-bounds jump shot. He misses that <laughs> jump shot. Jim Beheim 
Jim Beheim and Coach Knight have the same amount of championships. You know, it, how yeah. – Creighton can really score it, and it seems to me you got a guard, obviously, but, man, putting the ball in the bucket in the tournament seems to be fairly important. Yeah, we, we had the number one or two ranked offense most of the year, and a lot of times you watch film, Dan, and you know what it is. Ball's in the air. It's good coach, bad coach, good coach, bad coach, and then depending <laughs> what happens, there you got it. And with us – uh, we had some good looks. We missed them. I mean, Creighton went 22 for 22 at the free throw line. You and I are old enough to remember 1971. That was the last time somebody went 22 for 22. So they tied an NCAA record at the free throw line. That's Virgil Sweet type shooting right there. Yeah. That's about the high school. <laughs> are you kidding me? Right here. Hey, the region here, people remember that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, John Wooden keys the life award. Uh, it's going to be really cool. Your father received the award. You're having the whole family there. Uh, walk me through what that means to you. Well, anytime you get honored with uh, something with the name John Wooden, you know that that's a good thing to be associated with because uh, he was an outstanding coach, uh, great leader, but uh, his high character and uh, a moral man as, as it comes by. So um, extremely privileged. We call those team honors. When the, when, when the team does well, everybody gets uh, uh, accolades and awards, and uh, I can't thank our staff and players enough for allowing us to get this team award. So I've got the notes right here in my rundown, okay? And here's what it says. It says, uh, legacy, growing up in a basketball family, Homer Drew, Dad, Scott, and Bryce Drew, all right? No love for Dana. No love for Dana Drew right here. No love. None. The Toledo Rocket. No love. Well, not, not Dana loves you, so you're good. <laughs> She followed more than anybody else. That's why she's out of there. <laughs> Honestly, I bet. Hey, she had to keep up. What are you doing? Hey, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jerome Tang takes over Kansas State. It's a great story. You're your longtime assistant now at Kansas State. Two scholarship guys. I mean, think yeah. about it. Going and beating Kentucky, where he started at that job to where he is right now. Walk me through. What makes him special? Well, I think uh, uh, first and foremost, uh, Coach Tang's a great coach. He spent uh, 19 years here and helped us uh, uh, build Baylor basketball to what it is, helped us win a championship. Uh, and from that, uh, he did a great job in the portal. Uh, and, and it allows you with the portal, the one positive is you can flip a roster real quick. It used to be you'd flip it, and it's with mostly freshmen or people sitting out. So then uh, it takes longer to build programs. He did a great job evaluating talent, putting guys together that can play well. And and he should be national coach of the year for what he's done. Uh, and, and, and Coach Tang, he's like a brother to me. You spend 19 years with somebody. Uh, you get to know him pretty well. There's no doubt he was going to be successful, just like Coach Mills had an outstanding year at Oral Roberts, Coach McCaslin. Had an outstanding year in North Texas. Um, my brother, GCU, went to the tournament. So uh, a lot of success uh, uh, and a lot of a lot of people doing well. And and we call it the culture of joy. And uh, Coach Tang's one of those guys that uh, uh, he's got a chance to win it all this year. And uh, he likes to talk about having dudes. He's got he's got a couple dudes that can really hoop. When will you know? Going, you know, Coach. 
Coach Tang gets his job. He's got two guys. When will you know? When does a when does a college coach at your level fully know what his exact roster will be for the next <laughs> season? At what point will you know? Uh, usually by September and probably the middle of <laughs> September. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> And that, that's part of the part of the thing that's so uh, – uh, I mean, when you got into coaching and, and I've been in it uh, uh, 30 years, the, the great thing is when it was senior night, you'd been with guys for four or five years, you know, and there's usually only three or four of them. And, I mean, it's – it's nowadays you, you got senior senior night and you're just learning their name <laughs> for eight months and, and, and they're walking, you know, so you're like uh, – but – but you got to adjust and, and change with the flow of things. Uh, again, I think from a coaching standpoint, we would all prefer to work, work with people longer, help them develop. And for those that, that come in, as long as they're able to graduate uh, and have success, it's a great thing. But um, I think with, with people changing schools as much as they do, graduation rates are going to be really important to track because at the end of the day, not everybody's playing pro. And part of college's biggest uh, 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 reason people should go is to get the degree, uh, not to, to be the 1% in the NBA. Cause that's, that's not a great percentage. You know, um, coach, when, when you, you mentioned you got to recruit your own players, what, what does that entail for people watching this that don't really understand that? Well, in life, we all know the grass is always greener on the other side. That's that's what you fight. Like, is this job better? Is this location better? Same thing with with uh, uh, players each and every year. They finish a season with you. They've had ups. They've had downs. And, okay, do I go to another program? Uh, um, and you always think the best case. And the best case is you're starting. You're getting all the shots. You're playing all the minutes. Coaches always letting you do what you want to do. Um, and – and then you get there and you find out that's not really the case. And I had it better where I was. So um, it, it, after the year, uh, that's where that's where uh, depending on people's circles uh, and who they listen to, it's really important you have the right people in your circle. Because, as you know, if you're developing, you're probably facing some adversity. And that's there. There is no there is no perfect season where you get all the minutes, you get all the shots and everything goes your way. And part of becoming uh, uh, a man and becoming uh, a professional player, if you're able to play at that level, is going through the ups and downs of a season. So, uh, again, uh, coaches always rather keep uh, uh, more guys than lose guys. Uh, but you got you to recruit the ones that you want to keep and uh, hope that they, they listen to the right people. Hey, last thing, <clears throat> Deion Sanders, you know, he came out and he said, hey, look, I'm going to recruit a certain type of player, you know, all that. But what I kind of took from it was I, I'm going to recruit guys that are used to winning. I want to recruit guys that are from programs that are used to winning. How important mm -hmm. is that given that maybe some people, you know, think the AAU culture is better than the high school culture, that whole deal. How important mm -hmm. is it to recruit guys that are just simply used to winning? Well, I, it, I think every coach would prefer that than not. Um, at the right. end of the day, uh, it, there's always, it's like the, like the NBA draft. Are you taking potential? Are you taking production? Are you taking measurables? Are you taking heart? 
I mean, uh, same thing with uh, uh, some programs. Uh, if they're if they're a real good program and playing a, a real tough conference and play really good games, they're probably going to have more losses than than a, than a team that is clearly better than everyone they they face. So. Definitely, I think every coach would rather have somebody that's a proven winner. Um, to what extent depends on the competition, environment, and whatnot. And that's where you got to make your own decisions based on that. Last, last, last thing. Um, you did something with a kid, and you and I have talked about it. Uh, a kid named Ish Wainwright, who I remember mm. coaching against him when he was like in ninth grade, and he was a freaking monster <laughs> and the best player in the class <laughs> and all this guy. But you know what? He doesn't end up – I think he is in the NBA, but he doesn't end up being a first-round pick. But he ends up being a guy that, when I watched you play in the Bahamas, like affected winning like nobody else in the entire freaking tournament. How rare is that, that a star becomes that, and how do you get to that point? Yeah, great, great question. And I remember you did that uh, uh, battle for Atlantis. We won that championship in 2017. And the great thing is you pointed out um, what a glue guy, what a winner, all the intangible, tough plays he made. And that's great for all the young kids out there to know because it's not about who scores the most points, it's who wins and who contributes to winning. And usually that's the little things in the defense. What's amazing about Ish Wainwright is after he finished basketball, he tried to be a tight end and actually went through that process. Um, and then after uh, not being not making it with the Chiefs or the Bills, uh, then he ended up going overseas. So he gains a bunch of weight, then he loses a bunch of weight. Now he's with the Suns <laughs> and doing a great job with the Suns. Royce O'Neal's another player that we had that's with the Nets. Both of them very similar, meaning not big scores, but winners. They did every tough thing and everything that's required to win games. And at the end of the day, coaches at successful programs in the NBA or wherever, they want those guys and they need those guys and they find those guys. So anyone that's a player out there, you can be the fourth, fifth, sixth best scorer on your team. And if you contribute to winning, I mean, Dennis Rodman was never a big scorer, but he won a lot of championships, you know? Yeah, and, and you know, I just I, – I thought that kid in particular – you're exactly right, obviously, on all that. But I just thought it was fascinating how you – you know, in the modern era where, you know, a guy – you know, you get all that hype. I knew who Ish Wainwright was, like I said, as a ninth grader. And he walked under the court and he's like, like holy hell, Andrew. Hey, Andrew, you guard him, my little son, right? Yeah. You guard him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, hey, speaking of that, but there used I, to be this great – there used to be this great player in Indiana who shut down Michael Jordan. And I think Dan Dockage was his name, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, See, Scott, that's why you like Scott, it. Sometimes, <laughs> so, sometimes guys face better athletes, and Jordan faced a better athlete. I mean, it happens. It happens <laughs> to all of us. You know, it's just the way it is. Hey, man, congratulations on the award, and thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate you coming on our show. Uh, and have a great time with the Final Four. And again, congrats, Scott. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate you. And tell Andrew I said hello, too, okay? Tell your family I said hello, please. Will do. Thank you, Dan. Uh, you're welcome. That's Scott Drew. Valparaiso, Indiana's finest, baby. That's right. <laughs> Valparaiso, they were. They were free throw shooters. They put it right there. Virgil Sweet, man. He was a guy. Legendary coach. Great dude. Great dude. 
They put it right there. Robbie Hummel had the whole thing. They set it in there. And if you go back and you look in the annals of basketball, high school basketball, like, and I don't know where they have this, but Virgil Sweet always promoted Valparaiso High School, the best free throw shooting high school in America. Scott Drew took a program that was down and out. I mean, down and out and made it into a national power, not a national fluke, a national power. He just said it. They were the ninth seeded team in the country this year. Ninth seeded in the country. In the country. And nobody really paid attention to them. They struggled at the end. They got beat by Iowa State at home, then obviously won a first-round game, lost in the second round to Creighton. But the bottom line is a bad year at Baylor is now a second round and being seeded ninth. Uh, Before we go to break, I'll give you a shout-out. I'll give you a shout-out. Those of you on the YouTube chat, if you're from Indiana, we got a shout-out. Miami. Miami came into Assembly Hall, the women. That little Cavender girl, she and her sister are like little bikini models or Instagrams or whatever, and she knocked in two free throws. She shushed the crowd, but Indiana knocked in a three to tie it. And then I love this rule. I love the women's rule. Timeout, NBA rule, get the ball to half court. Next thing you know, whap. Indiana goes down at home. It was the best display of mental toughness that I have seen out of a team maybe all year. You got to understand, now this is no slight to women's basketball. Women don't play in front of the crowds that they faced, Miami faced, in Assembly Hall. They just don't. Indiana's had one sellout in his entire history as a women's basketball program, and it happened this year. The crowd was unbelievable, but these ladies from Miami, they didn't flinch, man. They got up. Indiana outscored them by 11. Next thing you know, uh, boom. All right, Coach Tom Izzo when we come back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. You know, if there was one of those Playboy calendars that they used to have, and they did it with college basketball coaches wearing no shirt, maybe a thong, Mr. March would be this guy right here. Coach Tom Izzo joins. Hey, you and I were talking off air about the impressiveness of uh, the Miami women's team going into Assembly Hall. That ain't easy what they did last night, brother. No, I happened to catch a little bit of it, and I've been really impressed with Indiana's team all year, but I got to give the Indiana people credit there. That crowd was phenomenal, and uh, and they bounced back, bounced back, and they just couldn't get it done at the end. But got to give Miami some credit. I felt bad for Indiana being the Big Ten guy that I am and uh, seen such a great crowd. I was hoping they'd get through that game. Coach, you've liked your team all year. I mean, you normally don't, as you said. But you have said to me at different times, I like this team. Uh, It paid off. Congrats on a Sweet 16 run and more. Well, thanks, Dan. You know, I I did talk to you about it a couple times during the year. And, you know, we had those injuries early, and the guys missed 9 and 12 weeks and two key players and – but, you know, I got a homegrown team. You know, I, I, I got a bunch of guys that have been with us for a while, and I prefer that if I can. And, and so uh, 
they hung in there together. I knew their schedule was tough early. And I just felt like um, we could ever get everybody together. And then our defense went to hell there for a couple of weeks. And we didn't defend very well. And our offense went off the charts. But in tournament time, just like I've always told guys, we were 7 of 30 from the three, Dan. We were the second-best three-point shooting team in the league. And our defense saved us just like it does in tournaments all over the country. You know, I've always talked about you got to do two things. And I think defense in tournaments is underrated because people see shots being made or the game winner, and they forget, man, the teams that guard the crap out of you seem to advance here. Well, it's a case this this year because – I'll tell you what, Marquette was really good defensively. If you look at the teams, you know, we've been pretty good defensively. Tennessee is really good defensively. If you look at even in Alabama, we played them early in the year. Everybody talks about all their threes. They're only shooting like 33% from the three, but teams are only shooting 38% against them. They're very good defensively. So I would agree with you. You know, there's still more teams winning with defense than offense. Um, the evolution of your team. You mentioned the defense went south. How'd you get it back? We had some come to Jesus meetings there after that Big Ten tournament title, or, uh, the game when we got beat by Ohio State. Uh, you know, I just felt like we we hadn't been checking. You know, we gave up a hundred points against Iowa. Now that was in overtime, but uh, you know, we talked about it and we watched it, and it just seemed like teams would hit. Three, four threes. We were we were the best defensive team in the league from the three point line as far as defensively, and we just kind of showed them some film and went over it. and And then at the end, you know, we do what all coaches do this this day and age. We begged them, <laughs> we pleaded, "Would you please guard somebody?" You know, it was awesome. <laughs> hey, but I will say this, coach: the girl that made the shot against Indiana. She dropped an F-bomb on TV. Kid for Florida Atlantic dropped a, a S-bomb. And then another kid dropped an F-bomb. I think swearing is back in vogue now, Coach. I think we can swear now. Boy, if we could do that, I'd be a first-team All-American. <laughs> there'd, be, there'd be no doubt about it, man. My mother gets mad at me watching TV, but... Uh... Yeah, we've all curbed how we are because uh, you're not allowed. So if the kids are bringing it back, whatever they do is legal. We, I've learned that in this job. That's, that's for sure. That's exactly right. Hey, we must kiss the ass of 18 to 23-year-olds, Coach. And that's why I love you because you're ripping ass. You and Samson are just ripping guys. And they look back and they take it. And sometimes they come back at you. But you can't be afraid to coach your damn team. You know, Danny, you asked me what I did um, at the end of the year, and I said that to my team. I said, you know, I have not really coached you lately because everybody's so fragile. We had the injuries. We had some pressure on us. And I said, all I'm doing is managing you, and managing you is not going to make it. And uh, so, you know, you bring up a great point. And, uh, you know, ironically, Kelvin, do you know that I replaced Kelvin here? He was a GA for Judd. I took over for Kelvin when I was a GA. So can you imagine that? Poor Judd's looking down saying, I got two guys left in his. So he's happy. Yeah, I did know that, actually. I remember Kelvin telling me that uh, the year that I worked for him. 
Uh, Coach, I thought Sissoko was really good at the end of the game. Like, he started doing, I'm guessing, exactly what you want, influencing around the basket. You know, Dan, you're so right. Um, but about the five-minute mark, he made a couple of defensive lapses where he wasn't up on the ball screens, and that kid, Jones, hit two big threes against us. And, you know, he came to the huddle, and i never seen him so emotional. He's a very calm guy, and he was so mad at himself, and players kind of rallied around him, and he went out and did something about it. He knew he made some mistakes. I thought he did a great job. He made some free throws. He blocked two shots. He ran the court. He stepped up on some ball screens. That's what he is. You know, we know he's not a great throw the ball in the post scorer. Uh, hopefully he'll evolve into that as years go on. But right now, he can block shots, change the game. He got 10 rebounds. Uh, that makes us a better team for sure. Coach, I got to ask. Um... Going back 7,000 years, you've been running the same sets. Like, hit the high post, guards duck under, side pin downs. I mean, you you and Roy Williams ran the – you run, run the same – do you ever sit there on the bench? I'm sure you don't, but do you ever sit there and go, damn, how did they not know how to defend this? We've been running this for 47 freaking years here. You run the same <laughs> stuff. Hey, you're seven years too high. It's been 40 years. No, that's not over-exaggerate, but it has been 40. That's the scary part. But, um, you know, I, I go by the eight broke, why fix it? I mean, we we adjust, but you're right. We, we do run some things that we've run forever, and I don't know, maybe people don't scout the same. I, I don't know what it is, Dan, but I couldn't agree with you more sometimes. And sometimes, though, it's the players. In this day and age, it's keeping everybody focused. You know, they might know what to do. Coach might have done a hell of a job. They get in the game and, you know, who knows? They're thinking about, uh, you know, their uh, podcast so they can make MLI money. I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing something. <laughs> Coach, I got to ask you, and, and I may be off base on this, but I saw something somewhat towards the end of your game. Your son, Steven, I don't know why I saw this. He's at the end of the bench. He saw something because he walked in front of everybody, and I don't know if he went to you or he went to the assistant coach, but he saw something, and I don't know if he made a suggestion. I'll say he made the suggestion that got Sissoko to play better to give him a little bit of credit. But I, am I just – you may not even know. Maybe I, I, I could be just nuts with this, but it looked no. like he saw something that was helping coach the team. You know what? He does walk down there some. Sometimes it's to grab me because there's an official that maybe he knows I'm, I'm not fond of or I didn't invite to my uh, funeral, you know. But uh, for the most part, he does sit on the bench. He knows what I want because he's been around. He knows what players thinking. And he does go to those assistant coaches and say some things, you know. We have a rule. What goes on in the locker room stays in the locker room. It's like Vegas, you know. So he never talks to me about those things, but he does talk to the assistant if he sees something. And maybe that happened, and if it did, we'll give Stephen credit. What the hell? Absolutely. I mean, look, I would contend that he's the reason that Michigan State is now in the Sweet 16. That's my take, and I don't give a damn. It's my show. <laughs> well, that's the father in you, you know, like when your son played. I mean, you know, that's the father in you. Thank God mine doesn't play enough to get the criticism that you would 
probably be warranted. But at the same time, it's been awesome having them around. It's just been one of the great things that I've done in this job is uh, let him be a walk-on. And, you know, he's going to the Madison Square Garden later today. And, uh, damn it, I'm happy about that. Yeah. Madison Square Garden, man. How awesome in March. Uh, Coach Tang at Kansas State. You know, he let Kentucky know, right? He said, hey, we had better dudes than they had. Pretty good story what he's done. What do you see out of K-State? Well, he has done a great job. You know, he, you know, working at Baylor for 19 years, he's been through some, some, you know, good, good games, good game plans. He knows what he's doing. I mean, he might be a new head coach, but there, if you watch those games, Scott let him do a lot down there. He was very involved. So um, he's an experienced assistant coach that became a head coach. I think like I went through, you know, I was 13 years with Judd. That's like 300 dog years. And uh, when you do it that long, you kind of you kind of feel like you're part of it. He's done a very good job. He's got some good players. That point guard Noel they got is the real deal. I mean, no, he's 5'8". And I think, um, you know, this is going to be a guy that's going to come up in this coaching rank because he seems to be having some fun doing it. And uh, we'll see what happens in a couple of days. You know, every day, every minute, you say you're going to retire this job, and then you go sign new contracts. Uh, just admit right now that Bayheim at 78 is a young man compared to when you're going to retire. You're going to retire at – you and Patino are going to retire at like 95. <laughs> I, I hope I live to 78, much less uh, coach till then, but uh... – <laughs> You know, it is true. Um, you know, sometimes I said, I remember t telling Judd, how can you coach to your 68? And then I do it, you know, but it is how you feel. It's how things go. But I got to tell you, and you know this, we've talked about it. I don't think the game will get me out of it. I think it's the outside issues that get you that I think a lot of coaches have left because of, I and mean, you know, some of them and I know some of them. And um, that's a shame because uh, hopefully this thing gets back to some normalcy pretty soon because as you see i know i don't know how many kids are in the transfer portal i don't know who's driving cars anymore we're doing what you know when somebody says that's illegal i say what's illegal you know there is no illegal and uh i don't think that's good for a game but uh you know uh how i feel about that dan and i'm worried about these guys later on in life and that's kind of the way i look at it Coach, uh, when I text you yesterday, you text back about being in New York City. You talked today about Madison Square Garden. Um, I got to tell you, uh, that's a hell of a deal. The Garden in March Madness, and you get to go be a part of it. I, I, there's probably not a lot of firsts left in your career, but that's pretty freaking cool in my opinion. That is pretty freaking cool, and uh, especially a guy from the UP. You know, there'll be more people – uh, standing outside Madison Square Garden, I got my whole city. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm going to do that. I told my guy, uh, I got one guy from New York, you know, Tyson Walker. And I told him before the game, you know, if you get us that first win, I'll help you get the second one, which was Marquette. And then the pizza and cab rides on you. So when I get there, yeah. I'm taking him. He can take all his NLI money, go do a podcast. Go uh, write a letter for somebody. Whatever he's got to do, we're taking that money, and he's buying my pizza. That's all I care about when I get to New York. <laughs> that night, tonight, 
I'm, he's buying pizza and a cab ride for his, though. <laughs> the one thing that I love, though, like, yeah, you need to take him to the UP, to one of those bars that is covered <laughs> with moose heads and bears and these freaking animals. That I, I remember going to see Lindemann, and I'm like, holy crap. This place scares me. Are these things going to come out of the wall in the UP, these freaking dead animals? You know, only me and you would understand that because you brought Bob up there. He actually went up. No, he liked to hunt. Judd never hunted. I brought Judd into Lindemann's house and all those. There was uh, pheasants up there, remember? Stuffed pheasants. And, and Judd looks at it and goes, hey, that's a nice-looking duck you got up there. I knew we weren't getting Lindemann from then on. His dad, who was just like exactly, you know, like the Beverly Hillbillies, you know. He was one of those guys. He came walking in with a leather bag, two bloody rabbit heads on the side. I knew we weren't getting them because Judd couldn't hunt or fish. Uh, I was the chewing tobacco and beer drinking coach for Lindemann's dad. I had to sit with a big chew in my mouth in a bar and drinking beer, <laughs> spitting into a cup. I felt we had a good shot because we were kindred spirits chewing, uh, chewing fricking tobacco. So, the, <laughs> so the, uh, hey, coach, the, the, the bad hey. part is, Danny, the bad part is people are watching, they're listening to the show and, and they're thinking that's crazy. That is a true statement, what you just made. That is about as honest as you could be. I mean, the town was, you know, there was one bar, Kukulais. I'm sure you you uh, went there, yeah. and everybody probably treated you like a god because they'd never seen anybody outside of there. And I'm not ripping where I'm from. <laughs> it's just a unique place, and that was the truth. Yeah, I tell everybody I'm very proud. I'm from Gary, Indiana, murder capital of the United States, baby. Let's go. That's, you know. Hey, I know you got bigger fish to fry than me. I'm so happy for you. Thanks for always being great with our shows, man. You're awesome. Thanks, Coach. All right, Danny, thank you. Uh, let's see if uh, we can advance, and maybe we'll do it again. See you, brother. Yeah, abs absolutely. That's a great time. Man. They'll advance. I mean, look, he's Mr. March. It's what he does. It's who he is. I only Big Ten team left. I hate it. I want all Big Ten teams to be left. But you know what? I, they're not. So now we got to figure it out. I don't know what to tell you. So, all right, let's take a break. We're going to come right back. I don't think we took a break. Did we take a break in between, Drew? I can't even remember anymore. Dylan, let me know. Do we need to take a break and come right back? Or can I just keep talking? What the hell? I mean, I. I love, all right, I love Izzo. I love talking to Izzo. I think Izzo's great. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, Van Pasterman asked, what's Todd Lindemann doing now? He's raising a great family. Uh, his son just played for Bloomington North High School. They advanced to the regional. His son's a good player. Todd Lindemann is one of the great freaking guys, and I'm not going to lie to you. This is one of the most fun shows I've ever done. And I got an hour, or excuse me, I got 45 minutes left, and I hope I don't screw it up. I really do. Uh, the YouTube chat is popping. The Twitter page is popping. We've had great conversations with guards. And we ain't stopping. All right, Cuba's bullpen catcher. Think about this. I want you to think about something. So you live in a country of Cuba. Like, this is where at some point we got to step back and protect what we have. Like, we got to start protecting what we have in this country. Ivan Pirito is a catcher for the Cuban team in the World Baseball Championships. 
right? He's a Cuban catcher. So I'm going to read this to you. So he's the first ever player to defect from his country during the WBC. He didn't rejoin the team's flight back. He chose to stay in Miami. Look, think about this. So now he's a defector. Now this guy has to leave his entire family. I'm sure he has something set up in the bit, but he's got to do this. People, now you're a criminal in your own country because you chose to leave your own country. This is insanity. We live in such a great country that we have people willing to give up everything to come here, and yet we don't protect what we have. We acquiesce to nonsense. We acquiesce uh, to treason. We acquiesce to people that are trying to tear down our country instead of fighting for our country. It's the most unbelievable thing that I have ever seen. People are literally paying cartels, traveling in caravans, smushed in the back of a van, dying to come into our country. A guy is leaving his family, Cuba, come here. The world's is full of these kind of guys, and we don't protect what we have. We got the, I want this guy to come to our country, but I want us not to protect it at the borders. We should be doing that, but protect our way of life. And we're too stupid. We give in to stupidity. We're worried about them or us or we or he, he debased me. He did that. Shut up. We got the greatest country ever. Ever. And we're sitting there and we're trying to ruin our own freaking country. It is unbelievable we're that stupid. It really is. It's unbelievable we as a people have allowed this to happen. Think about this guy, Ivan Perito. He defected. How scary is that? You think you're going to be killed, right, by doing that? I mean, you do. You think you're going to be killed. God dang. You guys are making me crazy. You guys are just making me crazy. It just makes me crazy uh, that we are so stupid that we cannot figure it out. And we want to destroy what we have. All right. And here's, here, here is what it is. Here, here is what it is. Some idiot says that arrogant American MLB baseball fans are upset about Edwin Diaz's injury due to colonialism. Okay. Due Torres Patel attendant. All right. Due Torres Patel attendant. Some Major League Baseball fans are, are uh, because Diaz wasn't playing for the Mets or other professional American baseball team when he hurt himself, but instead was playing for a place where he was born. Arrogant American baseball fans have decided to hurt, he hurt himself in a meaningless game being played in an equally meaningless tournament. How colonial of them. Yeah, shut up. Seriously. I mean, I don't even know who, who said this, but they're idiots. I mean, the level of stupid, you know, how colonial of them. What the hell does that mean? Somebody explain it to me, please. Will you please? Uh, the MLBC is meaningless, Keith Overman said. Uh, exhibition series designed to get you to buy another uniform, to hell with the real reason, and split up teammates based on where their grandmothers got laid. How about that? That's Keith Overman. That's what he said. Okay, read sexist, and for what I apologize, you know, all right. I mean, honest to God, the level of stupid. I mean, we just bitch about everything. We 
bitch about everything. I mean, we can't wait. Now we're mad about Americans because some jackass uh, decides that that's what we are. I mean, we're so ridiculous. But you know what? I expect it. We expect it. We do. We just expect it. How colonial. Will somebody explain to me on the YouTube chat, what does that mean? What what does it mean? I mean, how colonial. We bitch about everything. And we have the greatest country in the history of the world with the best way of life. And somehow, some way, we're letting dumbasses dictate how we go forward. And it isn't in a manner that is good for our way of life. I don't know. The Lib Golf TV ratings suck. I tried to watch it. If I made the commitment to go play on the live tour, and I wasn't like Ian Poulter, who's 47 and trying to make, you know, life-changing money for those kids. If I was somebody fairly in my prime like Brooks Kepka, I'd be begging the PGA Tour to come back. Begging. I watched it the other day. It's terrible. It is. They got all this stuff on the side. Uh, the, the ratings are worse. Nobody was gonna, nobody's going to watch either. I mean, it's one of those things where you say, all right, like I always thought women's basketball, you know, all right, eventually, yeah, people are going to watch. I remember watching softball back. Michigan hit a home run to win the College World Series, and my son and I are watching. I'm like, hey, eventually people are going to catch on that college softball is a great sport. I remember saying that, and it has. It should. It's a great sport. It's a fun sport. It's close. It surpassed uh, college baseball, and it should. It's faster. But anyway, this live thing ain't catching on. It's not. Hey, I don't make, I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not mad at anybody at all for playing on the live tour. Your money's your money. Again, the greatest country in the world allows you the opportunity to make your own choices. Hey, and I don't want to hear, well, you know, you're supporting the Saudis. Of course. And the NBA's supporting China. And I'm supporting somebody by wearing this shirt, which was probably made somewhere, somebody by workers that are being abused. I mean, what do you want me to do? You don't want me naked, people. You don't want me buck-ass naked. You don't. Linda SD said she watched five minutes of live. That's about what I watched. And it seemed, you know what it seemed like? It seemed like one of those events where celebrities play in. You know what I mean? Like the thing from Tahoe. It just seemed cheap. It seemed um, poorly done, uninteresting. And I don't see it making its move. I, maybe it will. Maybe every guy comes over for the money, but I don't see it in competition. If I were the players of the PGA Tour, I would be thankful to live because it upped the purses, and I would shut up about live and not give it any, any, any suck at all. I just would. I, I just would. Magic Johnson has joined the ownership group of the Washington Commanders. That's awesome, man. Uh, good for him. No, seriously. Uh, good for him. Magic Johnson is a guy named Josh Harris. Josh Harris uh, owns the 76ers, New Jersey Devils. He's a co-owner. And uh, Josh Harris is the guy who is making the move. And Magic Johnson has joined in with Josh Harris. Good for Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson is an unbelievable success story. Magic Johnson really was the first, um, 
what's the right word? The first businessman athlete that I remember. Like, I don't really remember. I know Julius Irving did commercials and, uh, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar really didn't. But Magic Johnson was the first guy that built an empire. And he did it while overcoming AIDS. I mean, I'm going to say he's overcome AIDS. Uh, I don't even think AIDS when I think Magic Johnson. And back in the day, we all thought it was a three-year death sentence. We all thought you're dead. You know, I don't know what the deal is. Uh, but Magic Johnson is involved. Apparently, he's put in $50 million of his own money with the Dodgers. And next thing you know, the Dodgers are now worth $5.24 million. So Magic Johnson, good for him. Now, uh, he, when he is on his own, the head of Universal Studios told me that uh, LeBron James is way better as former basketball players at bringing his team, bringing a project to Universal Studios. Or it was Paramount. I can't remember what studios I went to. Magic's was a little bit more organized. But Magic has the wherewithal to understand joining groups that are very successful, and that's a big part of life. Good for Magic Johnson. I've always been, I have always said that Magic was better than Bird, and I have always had my soul crushed in the state of Indiana, but I always wanted to be Magic Johnson, not Larry Bird. I've always been a massive fan. Had a chance to talk to him a couple times. He was great to me at a Michigan State game. We sat, we talked. Uh, we talked about the Lakers, actually, just a few years ago. He was fantastic. So good for Magic Johnson and good for the Commanders. All right, when we come back, I got a lot more, a lot of NFL news. I got my, my, my top five coaches in currently remaining in the Sweet 16. We'll get to all that when we come back. I'm headed to the YouTube chat to see what in the heck these crazy people are chatting about. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Uh, how about we defend our way of life instead of the BS that the Biden crime family is, is trying to do? I mean, it's that simple. It's literally that simple. All right. Uh, some NFL moves, baby. Let's make sure we get the top five in there, too. I don't know. Well, there it is. Yeah. Some NFL move. Adam Thielen is going to the Panthers. He's leaving the Vikings. Uh, Brandon Cooks, we talked about this yesterday. He is going to the Cowboys for a fifth-round pick and a 2024 sixth-round pick. Laramie Tunsil. Remember Laramie Tunsil? He put the head suit on. He needed to smoke weed like right here. Look him up. Laramie Tunzel becomes the highest paid offensive lineman. Listen to this. $60 million guarantees, $30 million signing bonus. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, one-year deal with the Lions. He is the sixth Eagle starter to say, hasta la vista, baby. That's right. Hasta la vista to the Eagles. What are we doing? Why don't you want to stay with the Eagles? What the hell? And the fifth-year option of Tua Tungabailoa has been exercised by the Miami Dolphins. All right, we've got the NCAA Tournament Sweet 16 coming up Thursday evening, Friday evening. And I'm not going to lie to you, I already miss it. I've had such a good time watching college basketball that tonight I'm going to watch again. I, hey, look, last night I actually bet on a game just because I tried my halftime thing where I bet the game total 
at halftime, it didn't work. I think the game was like Radford and somebody. I don't know. I don't even know what it was. But all right, I took a swing, right? I took a swing. But the fact of the matter is the NCAA tournament has some great coaches in it. 16 coaches who are fantastic. We've heard from uh, two of them, Dusty May at Florida Atlantic, and we heard from the great Tom Izzo at Michigan State. And we'll try to get more on, but it's a little bit tough. You know, coaches are actually trying to win. Izzo's just a friend. Look up Izzo and Dockage, and you're going to see, man, he ripped me a good one. And I'm telling you privately, I ripped him. I mean, we went back and forth MFing each other. And frankly, now we're good friends. It's what dudes do. Guys, it's what we do. I'm sorry it may not be what you do as a guy, but it's what this guy does as a guy. I get on you, you get on me. We're both honest about our opinions. And then we're like, hey, we're good. We're good. Everything's good. That's what guys do. See, I am not of this world because I believe that's what guys do. You believe we're supposed to cry. No, you don't. If you're watching this show, you're probably a man's man. You're probably a woman's woman. That's what you probably are. You probably have some sense. But there are five coaches that I think are better than any other. One, number five, San Diego State's Brian Dutcher. I knew Dutch when he was an assistant coach at Michigan, not only for Steve Fisher, Bill Free, he was there a long time. His dad, Jim Dutcher, was the coach at Minnesota when I was a player. And Jim Dutcher, he recruited the wrong guy, a dude named Mitchell Lee and a bunch of other idiots late in his career. It was unfortunate because late in his career, they were complete clowns in a hotel that we all stayed at, the Edgewater in Wisconsin, rape charges. They lost their team. He lost his job. Uh, Brian went over and coached at Michigan. Brian, when they all got fired because of the Fab Five and Jalen Rose and those idiots, uh, Fisher went to San Diego State. Brian Dutcher went with him. Uh, Fisher became a great, great, great coach. Hall of Fame, maybe, type coach. I mean, he won a championship, and he did great things at San Diego State. And Brian Dutcher was his assistant. They, they elevated. And Brian Dutcher has been nothing short of fantastic. He has been not good. He has been great at San Diego State. One thing, if you're not aware of San Diego State, that you're going to see them do is they are physical. They are tough. They don't back down. And that's their culture. They had Kawhi Leonard, sure. But their culture is such that they, ladies and gentlemen, lead with their nose. They stick their nose right in there. It is as smooth a transition as you're ever going to see from one coach to his assistant. It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens now. So here's how Brian Dutcher has gone. 22 and 11, 21 and 13, 30 and 2, 23 and 5, 23 and 8. And now, ladies and gentlemen, they're in the Sweet 16. You probably never heard of Brian Dutcher. You probably never did but you do now. He is, no question, one of the top five coaches in college basketball or in the Sweet 16. I don't know about college basketball. His team's only, he's only 148 and 46. I don't know. That's pretty good. Number four, Rick Barnes. Rick Barnes would be higher, but the three ahead of him are great. 
I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Rick Barnes wins wherever he goes. Texas finally, you know, had it figured out. Shaka, it was a tough job for him. Uh, they had it figured out with Chris Beard, but you know what? Chris Beard got into trouble, and Texas went back to wishing they had Rick Barnes. Rick Barnes has done a great job wherever he has been, beginning at George Mason. Rick Barnes is a great basketball coach. Yes, I know he has had some losses in the NCAA tournament, but let me explain this to you. So has Tom Izzo. So did Bob Knight. So did Mike Krzyzewski. Mike Krzyzewski lost to what? Wofford and Eastern Michigan? I mean, don't at me about, well, he lost in the first round. When you talk about coaching basketball, just the on-court, what his teams are all about, Rick Barnes could be number one on this list. He could be. He just hasn't won as much as the other two guys, but he certainly could be. Rick Barnes is a great basketball coach, and you're going to see Rick Barnes uh, go at Florida Atlantic, and I'm anxious to see the game because Dusty Mays guys, as we talked about with Dusty earlier, do spin it. They do drive it. Rick Barnes is terrific. Absolutely terrific. All right. Numero tres, and I hate to do it. I hate to do it. Calvin Sampson. Look, Calvin Sampson is a cheat. He, in my opinion, is the worst human being coaching college basketball. He's a cheat. He's a cheat. We used to do this prayer. Like all the coaches would hold hands in a circle before we went out there. And I remember thinking, what are we praying so we don't get caught? (laughs) What are we praying so some player doesn't pull a gun on the bench? What are we praying for exactly here, K. Sampson? What are we praying for? He's the worst human being that I've come across in college basketball. I'll always appreciate him hiring me, but I didn't need the job. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't need the job. I was going to go with Herb Sendek to Arizona State. Not like he saved my career, but I liked it because, frankly, going back to Indiana was great. But as soon as I got there, I'm like, oh, man, Calvin Sampson cheats at golf. Calvin Sampson has no regard for anything other than Calvin Sampson. Now, I respect the fact that Calvin Sampson uh, coaches guys hard. I respect the fact that Calvin Sampson uh, can put teams together. But in terms of X's and O coaching, people have asked me, compare Calvin Sampson to Bob Knight. It's not even close. But he has taken two different schools to the Final Four, Oklahoma, where they lost to Mike Davis in Indiana. And, of course, a couple years ago, right here in Indy, He took Houston, and they have a real shot to get to the Final Four this year. He's got a terrific team, but he's the worst human being. They can do all these stories on Calvin Sampson having his family around. His son, Kellen, is a nice kid. His daughter got mad at me, but who cares what a daughter thinks? That's a daughter of a a coach. Could care less. But you know what? I was good to Sampson, too. I kept his kid around. I could have got rid of him, but I didn't. I kept him because I liked him. He and Travis Steele were young guys, and they had great stories of going out in Bloomington, so I kind of dug it. But anyway, Samson is a disgusting human being, but he does coach his team hard. He coaches his team very, very hard. He does not let them slip up on the court, and if they do, he rips them. But I'll never forget two of our players in a meeting before we went to Ohio State, Armand Bassett and Jamarcus Ellis, walking in 30 minutes late to our film session so high, it smelled so bad, and I looked over at Kellen, we were sitting in the back, and he looks at me and he goes, whoa. And what Calvin Sampson do? He made him run two sprints at Ohio State. What did we do? We won the game. That's Kellen, Calvin Sampson. 
That is the modern coach. I have no idea whether he's worse than Barry Switzer. I just know Calvin Sampson is the worst guy in college basketball, and I'll stand by it. And I hope someday he answers it and rips me because there's nothing better than being ripped by a bad person. But he's got a good team, and that's all that matters. Mark Few is the exact opposite. Mark Few is a great person. Mark Few is number two on this list. You get Mark Few a national championship, and he may go to number one of all time. I mean, when you think about Gonzaga as compared to Alabama or Indiana or Kentucky or Duke and what it should be, this is a small Catholic college in the Northwest, and they dominate college basketball. Yes, I said dominate college basketball. You can hate on Gonzaga all you want, but Gonzaga, a small Catholic school up in the Northwest, is a rush-the-court type of team, meaning if you beat them, you rush the court. That's what you do. That's how good they are. Don't at me about it either. Mark Few really can coach basketball. Mark Few every year. Lose the guy Suggs in the first round? Let's go back. Lose Corey Kispert and Suggs? Let's do it again. It's just what happens. I've got them to win the national championship, but after watching the first weekend, they shouldn't win the national championship. Alabama should win the national championship if we're going just on talent. Now, one thing you'll notice that we don't have anybody uh, so far that has won a national championship, but they've all come close. They all obviously have a shot this year. Mark Few is a decent human being. Yes, he got a DUI, so I'm sure everybody's going to say, hey, look. And I'll say it. Hey, look. Yeah, you got a DUI. What are you going to do? Likes to have beers, likes to hunt, likes to fish. Made a mistake. A lot of people make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. Hell, they're going to put Huggins in the Hall of Fame. Not only he's a cheat, and he got a DUI. He's a Hall of Fame and has never won a conference title at a big school. But, hey, what are you going to do? Mark Few is a great basketball coach because his teams do exactly what is needed to win. What do I mean by that? All right, when my son was playing at Ohio State, they played Gonzaga. Gonzaga got up 13-zip. My son actually played great. However, Ohio State could not quite break away. They got up five. Boom, boom, boom. Guess what happened? Gonzaga, I'll never forget this, got the ball open to their most clutch player, Ed Norvell Jr. I don't know where Ed Norvell Jr. is, but they got it to him, an open look. He ripped the three. They went up two, and the whole game changed. It's just what Mark Few does. The other night, the ball had to go to Drew Timmy. Guess what? The ball went to Drew Timmy. I know it's simple, but there is not, there is not mistakes made by any of these coaches' teams late, and certainly not by Mark Fuse, the number one coach in this tournament is Tom Izzo. Say whatever you'd like. He's the only guy that's won a national championship, at least on my list. And Tom Izzo does what Samson does, but Tom Izzo is a very good human being. Tom Izzo coaches his team incredibly hard. I think the most interesting thing that we talked about with Izzo was he went from managing his team to coaching his team. What does that mean? Managing your team means I'm just trying to Keep everybody going. Look, I don't have 15 guys unhappy. I don't have my stars unhappy. I'm not having to have meetings every five minutes. I'm not having to do that. Uh, we Then he said, screw it. I'm going to coach you. I'm going to coach you hard. And when Izzo coaches you hard, 
Oh my God, there are swear words. There are swear words. There are swear words, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? He's going to MF you. He's going to drop bombs on you. He's going to get in your backside. And you know what? At Michigan State, players come back at him. It's interesting. It's fascinating. But he's got a nice team. He mentioned Tyson Walker, the guard from New York. That kid can get, that kid can explode, like big explode. I remember watching him explode against Purdue at Michigan State. Really, really good player. Hogart, another good player. Malik Hall, he's kind of the key. Inside guys, we saw Sissoko kind of dominate the last five minutes. He's got enough guys. And he, as he said, it's a homegrown team for the most part. You know what you're going to do. Here's what you do when you're scouting against Tom Izzo. You got to win the backboard. It's the one team in college basketball that will pound you. Pound you in the submission on the backboard. You got to get back on defense because their point guard will take it. Their wings will run. Their four-man or five-man first down will sprint. uh, We call it uh, Main Street. He will sprint right down the middle of the floor trying to get in the post, ball side. Their trail guy will either ball screen or screen away or maybe catch and shoot. It's, he's been doing the same things, ladies and gentlemen, for I don't know how long. Let me ask you Indiana fans out there. Um, any Miller cops worried about in the tournament we're going to wear a headband? Any Miller cop? Hey, when you go to a press conference, say a buzzword. Of course not. These are men. These are adults. Miller cop brought a Northwestern pre-this-year mentality to Indiana basketball, and it stunk. Indiana stunk over these last two years. Yes, they got in a tournament. They lost 20-plus games over two years at Indiana with an All-American and an older team. Don't at me about this. Uh, Indiana, well, I'm not even going to get into it. I'm not. I I agree, Dave Bernard. He should have called an Uber, but he didn't. Let he who hasn't sinned throw the first stone. Yeah, I got to tell you. More I think, I talked to some Indiana people yesterday, some people in the program, and they're so tired of Miller Cop. They're so exhausted with that idiot. Get mad at me all you'd like. All right, there you go. There's my five. Last thing. Big cuts are coming to ESPN. Who do you want to keep? Stephen A. Smith. Says, well, I don't imagine it's going to be me. All right. I don't imagine it is either. Should be. Eh, maybe it shouldn't be. I think they make money off that show. I think they do. But get rid of all the football clowns. I, I hope they get rid of Mina Kimes so we can hear her whine. Well, they just did it because I'm a woman. But I got to prove myself every day, Mina Kimes said. Who doesn't? <laughs> Seriously. Well, I'm a woman. I got Shut up. Everybody's got to prove themselves every single day. Every day. Every day. Uh, Tom Liddell, I don't know what to tell you, man. You can get mad, glad, angry, or sad. I like Izzo. You don't. That's my opinion. God bless you. All right. Uh, Donald Trump has not been arrested yet. Maybe he will be today. If he is, I'll do a video on it. But this is simply a prosecutor that is racist, in my opinion. I think that's part of it. And I think this is a prosecutor that is doing this for political gain. Middle-aged white guy 
conservative, big number, big thing. He has prosecuted murders down to misdemeanors. This prosecutor is racist, and this prosecutor is doing this for complete political gain. We'll see if he does. He'll stand up there, and all the media will say what a great job he does because the media is on this guy's side. Why? Because it's a middle-aged white guy going down that they don't like. It's all crap. We know it. You know it. So just stop. Just stop. Call me whatever names you want, but just stop. All right, who's woke and doping today? We got two of them. I think you'll like them, and I'm going to give you a bet for tonight. Uh, we're not done betting just because the tournament's on pause. We're not on pause. What are you people crazy? What do you got here, Dylan? Yeah, is that unbelievable? Is that unbelievable? It's unbelievable what these politicians have done. People say, why would you want to be in politics this long? Look at that. Nancy Pelosi's net worth when she entered politics, $3.5 million. It's close to $200 million today. But let's arrest Trump for a $130,000 payment he made seven years ago. Remember, that's seven years ago. Is that unbelievable? These people with their insider trading, at least it's starting to be exposed. Now, you're not going to hear it anywhere. There's nobody ever going to hear it. You're never going to hear what actually happened. Of course you're not, because the media doesn't want to touch any of it. They just want to go after middle-aged white guys that are conservative. I anticipate me being next. Bring it. Bring it. Of course. I want to get, my friend of mine said, hey, you were on Tucker Carlson and Fox and Friends. Has CNN come at you yet? No, not yet, but that's the goal. You want to be big enough where these guys lose their minds on you, don't you? You want to be big enough where these guys start whining, bitching, and moaning. We're almost there. We're getting there. We're kind of, sort of, maybe there. But look at this. You want to know why they want to stay in power? Are you kidding me? I love the fact that all these people live in gated communities, too, with fences around their houses. I had a very liberal friend of mine say, well, that's not, that's, there's no correlation. Okay, there's no correlation, but there is, of course. Fences don't work except around my house. Oh. It's a safety thing when it's around Pelosi's house. Well, isn't it a safety thing for all of us in America to put a wall up and not let every criminal from Mexico come in? And if you think that's racist, I don't care. It's true. Just look it up. Look who's coming into our country. Yeah, seven years ago, uh, he made a $130,000 payment. They're saying he falsified business records. Yeah, okay. It's a joke. It's racist. Of course it's racist. And of course, it's politically motivated. I hope people are smart enough and they say, screw you. Let's go 120 million people vote for Trump in the next election. Can't do that. This isn't a banana republic. These are real people. Let's stop. According to the media. Oh, yeah. Boy, is this true. Yeah, these idiots on the left, these mentally ill, ridiculous, sick people on the left are what is normal people now. And on the right, a church-going family with a mom and a dad are extremists. It's amazing. Don't fall for it. We've got the greatest country in the world. We're not letting the people on the left dictate a damn thing. I'm telling you right now, don't do it. I said it earlier. I'll say it again. We got the greatest country on earth. Don't let these crazy drag queen. What's this Dylan Mulaney? She's not a woman. And we're losing our mind. We're celebrating the sickest among us. And die, whatever you want to say to me is fine.
But that's my opinion. That's just my opinion. No, I'm just telling you. I I don't want to hear it. Dan Pelosi had her house broken into by a lunatic. So did I. Guy broke into our house. Hey, uh, Rick, guy set my house on fire. Maltop cocktail. When I was a kid. Threw it at our house. Things happen, man. What's your problem? I mean, I, I don't get it. Well, golly, well, I had my house set on fire. I had gun pulled on me three times by police officers. I've told the story many times. One put it, well, it was on this side, put it right to my head. I mean, what do you want me to, golly, got her house broke. So what? So did I. My parents walked into our house as two dudes were walking out. The parents were about my age. They looked they're like, oh, man, we probably should move. A little girl was murdered right behind my house. Stabbed 33 times with a screwdriver. What do you want me to tell you, Rick? Things happen. Who care Pelosi got her house broken into? Insider trading shouldn't happen. Lying shouldn't happen in our government. We should clean the whole thing out. And if you don't understand it, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi had her house broken into. Yeah, my house got firebombed. You know what a malt, it started our garage on fire. If they'd have thrown it through the window in our garage, our cars would have been beat up. And little Rick here, Nancy Pelosi got her house. Shut up. Guys are making me crazy. $130,000 investment. Hey, keep going to church. Keep being a dad. If you're divorced, still be a dad. Let's get some fathers going in the African-American community. Let's get some fathers going in the white community. Let's get some fathers going in every community. Let's be dads again. Let's protect the nuclear family. What are we doing? Honest to God, we got idiots running around as drag queens and we're supposed to give a rat's ass. I don't care about you. Get them out of schools. What are you doing? Get them out of schools. Get them absolutely out of schools. I don't want drag queens around kids. What, do we, what, what psycho wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? I'm feeling like I'm going to dress up like a woman and go, dra- go twerk in front of little kids. What psychotic, ridiculous, mentally ill fool wakes up and thinks that's a good idea? Please, explain it to me, Spanky. But the people on the right are extremists. I'm an extremist then. I'm an extremist. I talk to my kids every other day. What do you want me to tell you? Pick me. Pick me as an extremist. Me. Me, me, and mostly me. Jeez. Holy cow. All right, bet tonight. I don't know what to tell you. Eastern Eastern Kentucky is really good, but I'm going Oklahoma State and Southern Utah. That's what I'm going. Parlay and Oregon. I'm going a three-team parlay. In fact, do you want me to give you my five-team parlay or six-team parlay that I got going? UAB over Vanderbilt, Oregon over Wisconsin, Tennessee over Florida Atlantic, UConn over Arkansas, Alabama over San Diego State, and Houston over Miami. 100 bucks is going to pay me 1200 That's right. All right. We're going to be back at it tomorrow. Will Trump be arrested? I kind of with you. I don't think so. I think even racists and I think even political opera, op, opportunists have a limit. I do. 
I think this, you know, you're not, whatever you believe in the paper, don't. Whatever you believe, just don't, okay? Seriously. Because the backstory is better. The backstory is what's real. This is not the back. Whatever the story, this is coming. These arrests are going to come from people like the Biden administration, from the Democratic National Committee, things like that. The oligarchy, George Soros. That's where these are. It's not coming from some, you know, racist little prosecutor trying to make a name for himself. It ain't coming from them. So we'll see. What, not, what is happening right now is they are weighing the positives against the negative. They are weighing a possible backlash where their friends, CNN, MSNBC, uh, Gannett newspapers, places like the Indy Star and all the little dweebs that are there, you know, they're weighing whether or not those folks would turn on them. They won't turn on them because they have no dignity. They have no sense of loyalty. They have no sense of country. They have no sense of honesty. We see it every day here in Indianapolis with the star. We see it across the country with the USA Today. They have no sense of anything but defending their little turf. So I don't know whether Trump will be arrested, but if he is, we will cover it for you. We will. Uh, can't thank you all enough. Can't thank you all enough for being here at the YouTube chat. You guys are freaking awesome every single day. Honest to God, every day you guys bring it. Andy Hughes, Frank Havlin, Gritty Jen, Who's Your Daddy, Iron Man, Jacob G, uh, Linda S. D. Rule Miller, Rudy the Boxer, The Otter Creek, Uncouth, and of course, the legendary, the, uh, the patron saint of the YouTube chat, that would be Van Pasterman. Of course, Aaron, we thank you. Dylan, you guys are awesome. Caitlin, thank you. Haley, thank you. Caitlin, thank you. Uh, Ryan, thank you. Dave, thank you. Clay, thanks for letting us do this. We'll be back at it tomorrow as we get ready for a monster Sweet 16 weekend. Dockage, yo, out.